0: I want to take your Bible, turn to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. I love this little old book. It is the backbone of Christianity. This little bitty book, very powerful, covers a lot of issues. It's one that all of God's children should really know and know very well. And so... In the book of Galatians, we know that um, God is the, the author of the book. But he used human writers, and uh, they wrote what God told them to write. And so, like you take the book of Hebrews, and you would automatically know, well, that's probably written to the Hebrews. That's how intelligent that is. But now when you write the book of um, Galatians, And uh, they were mainly not Greek, but Gauls that had came down in about the third century before Christ. And so they had settled in places like Iconium and Lystra and Antioch and Iconium and uh, Darby. And so they settled these areas in Galatia. And uh, here comes the Apostle Paul. And so when he went there, he led a, a lot of people to the Lord. And these were mainly some barbarians. But there's legalistic Judaizers that came from Jerusalem, and they would like to uh, follow the Apostle Paul around. And you see, they can't produce their own fruit, so they got to try to steal somebody else's. It's just like a church; you got to watch you don't try to build a church upon, you know, stealing fish from somebody else's goldfish bowl. You want to be able to try to win some of the people yourself, and and so forth. And I thought it was great that we had some people who have trusted Christ as Savior here in the ministry have. Decided to um, want to serve the Lord, be a part of the ministry, and uh, have done so. And I thank the Lord for that. But if you've got a piece of paper or some notes that you could write down, it'd be right good to write some of these things on, or even in the fly leaf of your Bible, someplace so you can write, you know, some notes on, because you can't remember everything. I can't remember the everything, but sometimes somebody might say something. And you say, "You know, I I like that," and then you write that down, because a short pencil is what. Better than a long memory. Short pencil is better than a long memory. And so we have here in the book of Galatians, many would call this the battle cry of the Reformation because it's this book and justification by faith that is so important. Just hold your place there in Galatians chapter 1 and just look over there in chapter 2 or make it chapter 3 where it makes a statement in verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. So we know that however God is going to justify somebody, it has to be by faith. It cannot be by works. So the book of Galatians is going to let us see that there is no other gospel of salvation than justification by faith. And the test of the gospel is that it has to be by grace. And if it is by grace, it has to be free and it has to last forever. Any one of those missing, then it's not gospel by grace. And it's easy to believe in eternal security if you believe that salvation is by grace. There's no problem in believing that. Because if you really believe salvation is by grace, what's the problem with how long he saves you? You mean he could save you for a day, that'd be all right. Yeah, that's all right. Well, what if he could save you for a week? Well, what about a year? What about a hundred years? What about a thousand years? What about forever? If it is by grace, it's no harder for God to save me forever than it is to save me for a moment. Because grace is grace. So the book of Galatians is going to deal with the subject of grace versus works, grace and law. And so it covers these things here, and it's a tremendous book, and I used to love to teach it in Colorado, but I don't think I've taught it since I've been here, as far as in the college or anything, but, um, well, that thing might change. But um, it's the great charter on our Christian freedom, because when you understand the book of Galatians, you understand that um, there's a thing called antinomian anti anti against nomian law. So there's people who believe in uh, being an antinomian. They're against the law altogether. And I have been accused of uh, being an antinomian. And that what it means is, and what they were trying to say is, that I believe you can just trust Christ to save you. Live like the devil and it doesn't matter. If a person listens to me long enough, they always know that it does matter. But if you're trying to save yourself by putting yourself under the law, that ain't going to work. And it does matter. And so they, we have what we call legalistic Judaizers, uh, people that are trying to put people underneath the law. Now churches, they were started by the Apostle Paul in the very first, uh, his missionary journey, and Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, and Derbe. And you'll read about some of these places in the book of Acts, especially from chapter 13 on down to chapter 15 and so forth. And it's, um, they had sent Paul out on a missionary journey and uh, he went to these cities and some interesting things happened to them. And a lot of people, they did, they trusted Christ as Savior. Now there's a couple errors that these legalistic Judaizers that they taught when they came and started messing around with some of um, the Apostle Paul's, you know, his his product, his, his fruit. And they were teaching him things and turning them against the Apostle Paul and Trying to put them underneath the law. And um, so Paul has to write this letter. And this is one book, believe it or not, that doesn't uh, have a few things in it. It doesn't talk about, well, it doesn't have any praise in it. I mean, he is not praising anybody for doing anything. And there's no honor that he bestows upon anything or anybody. And there's no congratulatory. Like, you know, you did a great job and I'm proud of you, blah, blah, blah. There's none of that in this book. This is just plain hard-hitting. Uh, it's a rough book, and so he's straight to the point and pulls no punches, and he really hits some pretty hard. And uh, James is a little bit like that in their earlier books, and uh, the canonicity of the New Testament books. But also, we have Galatianism, which is they're trying to add grace and works together, is a mixture, and. Uh, The book of Galatians will clearly explain how that you're saved by grace, not by your works, not by the law. And it shows you this difference in here. Now, it was written to correct some of the problems that people were having. And you see, it's written to expose false teachings. You see, you can't expose false teaching except by true teaching. And if you teach people the truth, then they've got the light to discern error. And so you don't teach the error, you teach the truth, and the truth will discern the error. But sometimes you have to say what it is that's right in order to let people see that what is wrong. Like Ephesians 2:8 and 9. It not only says what the gospel is, it says what it is not. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that's the end of it. No, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Why would you have to say not of works if it is the gift of God? Because people need to know there's a negative, and you hit that, and you let people see it is not of your works. So a lot of people, they don't understand that. But Paul has to also defend his apostleship and um, to let people see that you're saved by faith and faith alone. And he takes a very strong stand in the very first chapter about, you know, the gospel. And what it is. And cursed is everyone who teaches another kind of message. Remember this. If a man is saved by grace, the only way you can add and have another gospel or another message, you have to add something to grace. If grace is grace and it's no works to it, the only way you can have another message that's different from that message is you got to add works to it then that makes it another message. Then it's no longer the gospel of grace. You can see that, right? You understand that? I hope you do. So, understanding that the first two chapters, we say that these are like personal, you know, chapters about the apostle Paul himself. And it lets you know how he received the gospel and then how he took a stand for the gospel. So in chapter one, How did he get this clear gospel message? Did he get it from the other apostles? No. Because he said he got it straight from the Lord. Look what he says here in Galatians in chapter 1. Look in verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me, I got it from the other apostles. Is that what he said? I got it from um, John MacArthur. I got it from... Sprawl? No, no, no. He, He got it. Well, where did he get it from? Let's see. Where did he get it from? Verse 12, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of, well, slap my mouth, he got it from the Lord. So the gospel that he preached, he got it straight from the Lord. He didn't have to learn it from anybody else. And so did the gospel that he preached, was it different than what the apostles were already preaching? Because I have some people, they say, well, no, the Apostle Peter and and Jesus, they had a different gospel than what Paul preached. He preached the same gospel because there's only one gospel. You can't have another gospel that tells how to be saved because if you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, and then he puts a curse on anybody who adds works to the gospel, then he could not have ever had any gospel that included works for it. Because then it wouldn't have been good. And then that means every man that was not saved by grace could have been in time past saved by their works. Well, if they could be saved by their works, why couldn't we have to be saved by our works? But no man was ever saved by the law. Man's always been saved by grace. That's why when he says in chapter 2 and verse 8 of the book of Galatians, when he says... And God, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached unto, before unto Abraham, saying that he would be justified by faith. Well, that was 430 years before the law was ever given. So Abraham was justified in verse 6 of chapter 3, and there in Galatians, where it says Abraham believed God and it was counted in him for righteousness. So how was Abraham saved? By believing God, faith alone, and what Christ was going to do. But he was looking forward to And so they were not saved by the law because he said God would justify the heathen by faith. So nobody's ever been saved by the law, never have been. And so that way, Peter and the other guys could not have had a different gospel on how to be saved because they met each other. They came together in chapter 2. And when they were there, Paul says, you know, these pillars in the church, he says, it didn't matter to me who they were. He says, they didn't have anything to add to me. And he really didn't have anything to add to them. But he says, I, um, no, they wanted me to go to the Gentiles and Peter would go to the, the Jews. And uh, that was fine. Uh, there's just maybe one other little thing about, uh, you know, uh, helping the poor. I mean, that was fine. But you see, Paul had to get the gospel. He got it straight from the Lord, not from any man. And then he took a strong stand. And how do we know he took a strong stand? Well, because he had to face the man called Peter. Because Peter came to his church that he started in Antioch and split his church. Peter was a church splitter. Did you know that? Just look what he says here in Galatians in chapter 2. And look in verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go into the heathen and they unto the circumcision, you know, the Jews and Gentiles. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was for to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I would stood him to the face because he was the first pope and he should have never done that. <laughs> was Peter the first pope? No, but he did get a pop straight from this. That kind of reminds me of when I was a kid growing up, I used to always eat these Rice Krispies. You know Rice Krispies, snap, crackle, and pop? Now that I'm in my 70s, that's all that happens is snap, crackle, and pop. Well, anyway, we'll move right along. But he says he was to be blamed. It means he was at fault. He did something that he shouldn't do. And so the Apostle Paul takes Peter to task in front of everybody Because what he was doing was compromising the truth of the gospel. And we'll get into that later. But these are uh, two personal chapters of dealing with the apostle Paul himself. Now when you get into chapter 3, chapter 4, it gets along the lines of doctrinal. There's two doctrinal chapters here. And so you'll find out in chapter 3 when he talks about how did you begin. Let's see there in verse 3. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? So he's talking about how were you born? And how were you born? And so if you go down through this chapter, it will explain a few things. But he lets you know you had to be redeemed. And tell him that you are under the law. And Christ died to redeem you from the curse of the law. And so that's what the Lord teaches in his word, and that how the you are under the law until you came to faith in Christ. But once you come to faith in Christ, you're no longer under the law, and you're free from the law, and the reason you're free from the law is simple, because you're a dead man. Look what he says down here in verse 19 of chapter 2, when he says, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. See, the reason the law cannot condemn me in the future is because the law cannot condemn a dead person. Well, when did I die? When I accept that his death is my death, I died. And the law can never touch me. That's why there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. I can never be condemned again. Shall not come into condemnation. Why? Because you've already died and paid for your sins. When you really understand that, it's a, a miraculous thing. So in chapter three, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not believe the truth? He said, you started off believing the truth. Now, because you've had some Judaizers come in here and teach you some lies, you're falling for it. And he says, remember when I was there the first time? He says, you would have plucked out your own eyes and gave them to me because, he says, when he wrote this book, he says, see what large letters I wrote with because we believe that I, Paul had probably eye trouble and uh, people were so sorry. for They loved him to death and they would have given their own eyes. He says, where is this joy and happiness now? He says, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? Well, they had a lot of things to learn, and he had to kind of slap them around a little bit. And so he did. And he lets them know that in these two chapters that are very doctrine, showing you about the, the law, and then if you look in chapter 4, he's talking to you about as a son, the law. And a son. And once you trust Christ as Savior, you're now a child of God. And so it's laid out in a way that's uh, very easy to follow, very easy to understand. But you'll notice there also in chapter 4, I want you to look at this. Look in verse 19. Because you see, when you come out of the law and then you're born into God's family, uh, there is a birth. And it's amazing that in this chapter, it just so happens that it talks an awful lot about your birth. You see there in verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Because you see, they've trusted the Lord as their Savior, but they weren't growing in the Lord. And so he wants Christ to be formed in them. See, after you trusted Christ as Savior, God wants to transform you into the way he is. And that's what he's talking about. Till Christ be formed in you. That is growing in the Lord. And that's what you're supposed to do. But you'll notice up there in uh, verse 22 where he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. So here you're going to have two sons, two births. One represents the law, flesh. One represents the spirit, the new birth. So there's two boys that are mentioned, two women that are mentioned, two births that are mentioned. And then he explains that in verse 28. See there in verse 20 Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was, get this, born two times, it'll be mentioned here in this one verse. Born after the flesh, that's your first birth, and that was born after the spirit, second birth. Two births, flesh, spirit. I had somebody just email me the other day. You can't prove one thing about what you said about there being... Uh, two natures. You have two natures. Or that you've been born twice. You can't prove that anywhere in the Bible. Or that we have an old nature. <laughs> I thought, don't they read the Bible at all? I mean, take and put off the old man, put on the new man? That's found in the book of Colossians, also in the book of Ephesians. Where in the world are they getting off? They must be on another planet. But they don't know their Bible. But now notice, in that verse 29... But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. You got your first birth was a flesh birth, right? And then when you trusted Christ, you got your second birth, spirit birth. Which one persecutes the, uh, the other? It is your old nature that's persecuting the new one. The new one doesn't have to do any persecuting, it doesn't do it. But that's why you take those and you come straight across over there and in chapter 5 and look in verse 15 and verse, or verse 16 You see, you're born in chapter 4, you're walking in chapter 5. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So chapter 5 and chapter 6 lets us have, you know, it's the production. What comes in your life as a result of what you say you believe. So it's very, you know, practical. uh, Something that we apply. And that's what God wants us to do. So you have First two chapters, personal. Next two chapters, doctrinal. The next two chapters is the prat- the application of the knowledge. Now that you understand, he says, walk in the Spirit. And then in chapter 6, all the things that we're supposed to do and praying and all those things that God wants us to do. So we do that. Now, let me just uh, mention this to you because it's good. You can label these simple chapters. There's only six little old chapters. But Paul told the truth in chapter 1 about the gospel. And he told the truth about the law in chapter 2. And he told the truth about grace in chapter 3. And he told the truth about the Son in chapter 4. He told the truth about growth in chapter 5. And he told the truth about God in chapter 6. But you can also take all six of those chapters and you can lay it out this way. Because in chapter 1, it tells you where the gospel came from. The Lord himself. And who the gospel came through. The apostle Paul to us. Somebody allowed God to use them to bring the gospel to us. Everybody in here, if you know Christ is your savior, this gospel got to you somehow. It had to come through somebody. Somewhere, some way. And in chapter 3, who the gospel came to. And the child is born a son in chapter 4. The child stands and walks in chapter 5. The child runs in chapter 6. But these are simple little things to kind of keep in mind because you're studying one of the greatest books in the Bible, the book of Galatians. Now, take your Bible and look there in the book of Galatians chapter 1. The book of Galatians chapter 1. The apostle Paul was an apostle. Epo, from, stillo, to send. He was sent personally by Jesus Christ himself. means he saw him after his resurrection and personally sent by the Lord. God says he was an apostle. And he was sent personally by God. Now, we believe that as Jesus told them, he says, um, As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Now, we have the Word of God, and as we read the Word of God, you'll hear some people say that uh, God has called me to preach. God's called me to go to this country or that country or this Indian tribe or wherever. Well, that's because as they read the Scriptures and they heard God's voice, and God called, and so they respond. And so I, I think God wants me to go here. God wants me to go there. When I was graduating from Florida Bible College, I didn't have a clue where I was going to go. All I know is I'm done. They said, I'm done. <laughs> I think they were glad to get rid of me. Because I used to lo- ask a lot of questions. Oh, I'd ask a lot of questions. And one time, Dr. Stanford, he says, you know, sometimes, Yankee, he says, you got a piece of gold. He says, and then sometimes you got a piece of coal. <laughs> I thought, hmm, hmm. I knew he was trying to compliment me maybe 50% of that. But I was always inquisitive. I always got to ask questions about how do I know this and how do I know that and can you prove this, so forth. And he used to drive Dr. Cameron up a wall. But he was always so gracious. He was always so gracious. And he was so full and jolly. If you just, you know, Jesus come out. I mean, when he prayed, he prayed scripture. When he talked, he talked scripture. He was just, he was one living Bible. But um, very great man. But here he said, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So it's not to one church, it's all the churches in Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. They say that grace means a Greek greeting and peace is a Hebrew greeting, so it covers the whole base. So whether you're a Jew or Gentile, Grace and peace be to all of you. So look up here. This is you and me. And this wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. Now, God loves us. Hates our sin, but he loves us. And because all of us have sinned, we're all condemned. We're all in the same boat, and this is our flesh birth when we're born into the world, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But God wants us to go to heaven, and to go to heaven we've got to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. We've all sinned. So we cannot save ourselves by our works. This hen represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh, came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But because he loved us, he took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And the only thing he wanted us to do to go to heaven is to accept the payment he made for our sins. He made a payment. He was the payment. So that's why when you accept Christ, he is my payment for my sins. And the scars in his hands and in his feet is the proof of payment that, well, that's your receipt. And how long am I going to have this receipt? Forever. He said, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. He was my payment for how many of my sins? All of my sins. So the only reason I'm going to heaven today and the only reason I was going to heaven 58 years ago, it will be the same reason I go to heaven uh, 50 years from now, if I should live that long. And it's all because he paid for my sins. And people hear this. That's why he said you cannot be justified except by faith, believing that what he did is sufficient. You see, if I believe this is sufficient, then I'm not going to try to earn my way to heaven. I'm not going to put myself under the law and try to be good enough and keep the law and do this. No, 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 no. I'm trusting what he did. And once I trust him, he gives me as a free gift everlasting life. Never cast me out never lose me. Best news in the world. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not trust him right now? Just believe that when Christ died, he died for you. And by trusting him, he saves you, gives you eternal life, and he'll never cast you out and never lose you. If you're watching by internet, right where you are, on the screen it says, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. If you've never done so, I pray that you would. You don't have to... Let us know. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to sign a card. And you don't even have to punch it on the computer. But trust Christ as your Savior. That you have to do. Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for this time together. And we thank you so much for bringing everyone together tonight and for giving us a good service this morning. Thank you for this day and all you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.